The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad that you could join us. As always, we have a great show for you today. And you know that on Go Green Radio, we talk about a wide variety of green topics. Sometimes it's politics. Sometimes it's gardening. Sometimes it's about schools. We really try to cover all the various aspects of going green in our world today. And we have somebody very special on the show today. Um, We're going to be talking about urban gardening. Now, for those of you who think that's just a hobby or something nice, something kind of like a Keep America Beautiful sort of situation, I invite you to rethink that position because urban gardening may very well be one of the most essential components of the 21st century urbanization and urban planning that we're seeing today. We know that at some point about 50% of the world's population will live in urban environments. And having urban gardens and urban food supplies is going to be a very important part of urban design. And today we have on the show what some people call is the guru of New York City's urban gardening program, Gerard Lordahl, who serves as the director of the Open Space Greening Program for an organization I have really become a fan of, and that's Grow NYC. They are a nonprofit organization that serves in partnership with the mayor's office, and they have since way before going green was cool, they've been around for about 40 years. And so we're going to be talking with Gerard today about all the things that he does in New York City, but what's more, some of the leadership positions that he's had on a national level when it comes to urban gardening. Gerard, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thank you, Jill. It's great to be here. Thanks. You bet. Well, for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with what urban gardening is, can you give us kind of a definition? What is it exactly, and how does it differ from what we might have heard of as greening a city? Sure. Um, When you talk about urban gardening, you're often referring to a collective group of people coming together for the public good often on public space, but not necessarily. It could be private property in a city or in an urban area that someone has allowed the public to use for public access to grow vegetables, to grow flowers, for local schools to use. Urban gardening is different from greening of a city in the sense that urban gardeners are actively participating in the creation, design, and development of beautification projects in urban areas and food-growing urban farms. Greening of a city can include things like um, bikeways and street tree plantings that often municipalities will do with the public dollar. Um, But urban gardening engages citizens in cities across North America. 
Well, you know, I know that gardening in urban environments is hardly a new concept. I mean, from the beginning of the time when there were urban environments or city dwellings, people were growing things. But on the basis of what I've seen in your videos on your website, you are drawing new enthusiasts. I mean, you've got some young people really fired up about it. What do you think it is about urban gardening that's bringing young people into the urban gardening scene? Well, it's true. You know, uh, our executive director, Marcel Van and he often comments that um, many of the things that we're doing right now have been around since time immemorial. Uh, we're collecting rainwater, which obviously is something that has been done from you know, the the time man was able to stand upright, and mm-hmm. also we're gathering food, um, we're growing food, which has been done from day one, as far as we know, and um, these are things that have been going on f- from the beginning of time, as we know it, for humans to sustain themselves. However, we have new technologies, I think, that are drawing new generations. We have green roofs, we have composting toilets, that aren't new, I might add. Um, many countries that have um, challenges with plumbing systems you have been using composting toilets for a long time, like Sweden and Switzerland and people who live in the mountainous areas of um, a city. But um, I think the green technology that is coming up and um, I think is what is driving the, the young generation to get involved. We're talking about solar panels. We're talking about hydroponic growing of vegetables. We're talking about technology for rooftop gardens, um, collecting rainwater in 1,000-gallon tanks and then using it to water the garden so you don't have to rely on the precious water that many cities are conserving. So I think because of new technology, we're attracting the new generation. I think that's fantastic. Now, from your perspective, what is the primary purpose of urban gardening? You know, I've been doing some reading and research before this interview. Um, for some folks, it's beautification. For some folks, it's a social outlet. Um, some people talk about food security. What's your take on that uh, primary well, purpose? Yeah, I can only say I've been working here in New York City for about 30 years working with community gardeners. New York City has um, about 500 gardens, community gardens, and over the 30 years that I've been working with community gardeners in different neighborhoods throughout the five boroughs, I find that it's different for different people. Um, Many of the gardeners um, are growing plants for food, to have fresh tomatoes to pick um, from the garden. Um, Some gardeners are doing it for social reasons. Many cities can be isolating and um, people have a tendency with new technology to do a lot of isolated work, whereas community gardening brings people together. You begin to know your neighbor, and some people do it for that socialization point of view. On an international perspective, I've talked to gardeners from all over the world, and a friend of mine in England was reminding me how garden community gardens are often um, areas that People who come in, uh, asylum seekers, let's say, from other parts of different countries come in. The garden is a very safe place. They don't necessarily have to know a language of the local city. They don't necessarily have to know the people if they're 
just new to a neighborhood or a community. If they know the language of gardening, they can communicate with people in the garden, and it's a very important socialization piece. And it's also for food security. I mean, we've all seen what it's like um, to experience crises in North America that hold and put a stop to transportation of our food from the major hubs where our food comes from. So food security is of utmost importance. We're talking a lot about growing local food, supporting your local farmers, your local green market, farmers markets, um, where you're eating seasonal produce, you're supporting the local farmers, and you're cutting down on wasted energy, transporting tomatoes that you could grow in your own backyard um, instead of paying for the gasoline to travel across the country to bring them to your refrigerator. So there are lots of different reasons, but I think... Um, it depends on the individual what the priority is. I'm not going to say, um, you know, to speak on behalf of New Yorkers, but I think it's a combination for most people. It's a little bit of all of those three or four things. Well, and, and what you were mentioning, too, in terms of uh, supporting local growth and local farmers, I mean, there's an economic benefit, a local economic benefit to that as well. Absolutely. And certainly, you know, there's some kind of accountability uh, if it's your neighbors or, or somebody local growing the food, I mean, the chances that they're going to use some toxic pesticide on something that they're growing for people who live right down the street is, is diminished. So the health of the food is probably uh, you know, much greater. That's right. And I have the perspective, being a community gardener and a, a trained horticulturist since 1980, I have seen the change. And when I first started in this field in 1980, there wasn't a lot of public awareness about pesticide use, about growing local food, food security. Um, we had to convince many of the constituents and the stakeholders that we were, at, that we were working with. But now in 2010, um, you open up the newspaper and there's local food, there's um, food issues on a daily basis in the media, on television, in the newspaper, in the White House. We're talking about growing healthy food for children in our schools, getting rid of uh, fast food vending machines in, in schools, dealing with obesity issues for children, um, high blood pressure, and all those um, ailments that are related to food are in the news and talking about gardens and exercising in the garden are all part of a healthful um, lifestyle. Absolutely. I mean, there's no more basic need than food. I mean, right after air and water, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's really primary. What are some of the current issues? As you said, this is a very much a current event. What are some of the current issues that pose a threat to urban food security? And tell us more about how community gardens sort of fit into a secure food supply. Right. Well, of course, for many cities across North America, um, development and um, having development coincide and coexist, I should say, more specifically, with urban gardening is a challenge. Um, As you said earlier in the show, in 2010, more people are living in our urban areas. As a result of that, in cities like New York, 
there isn't a lot of land available to develop low-income, moderate-income, market-rate income housing along with green spaces. So what we strive to do at Grow NYC with the different governmental agencies and nonprofit organizations that we work with here in New York City, we try to strike a balance between good, solid housing that's affordable as well as open space, publicly accessible open space. And that's what makes livable communities, and that's what uh, people want to be involved with when they come into cities. They want a place where their children can play that's safe and healthy and clean. They want to see trees in their neighborhood. They also want the convenience of um, you know, local stores and businesses. There's, there needs to be a healthy balance. So uh, over the 40 years that Grow NYC has been in New York City, we've always been working towards that end of striking a good, healthy balance between green space and affordable housing. And with um, the, the mayor uh, in New York City and his plan, YC, they're really doing a lot of work to green the city more, to plant new trees, to make cities uh, to make New York City more livable. Uh, we recently had some issues come up with um, the threat of community gardens to um, their sustainability. And um, there was a big protest in City Hall, and many of the gardeners rallied and let the administration know that gardens, community gardens, are important to us in New York, and we want to strike a balance. We want these community gardens to stay, and we want the city to support them. And the city listened, and um, we're hopefully going to maintain the current level of about 483 community gardens in New York City without any of them being bulldozed for um, development. Congratulations. So I think that's one of the we've critical got more issues. right after this quick commercial break. That's a great success story. We're going to be talking more about some of the strategic reasons why cities should be incorporating urban gardening. Uh, we're going to be talking about urban gardening in respect to natural resource conservation. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. 
Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm glad that you could join us. If you're just tuning in, we are talking with Gerard Lordahl. He is the director of Open Space Greening for an organization called Grow NYC. They've been around for four decades in partnership with the mayor's office in New York City. If you want to check out their website and follow along as you listen to us, don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. Open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.grownyc.org. And there you can check out much more of what they've got going on with this fantastic organization. Well, Gerard, I would like to talk more about some of the things that we were talking about, current events and how urban gardening fits into the food security piece of what we see in current events these days. But, you know, we're beginning to see more and more news coverage on the world's water supply. And there's little doubt in my mind that urban areas will be the first to feel the effects of any shortages that we may have. Talk to us about how your programs there in New York City and with other urban gardening programs help to conserve water and actually prevent water pollution. Sure. Um, one of the things that uh, many of the urban greening organizations across North America have been working on in the past, oh, five, ten years or so, is collecting rainwater. In a city like New York, our sewer system and our rainwater catchment system are combined. So on days like today, I'm sitting in the Bronx. We've had two to four inches of rain since last night. And I know, Jill, you're in... You're, um, in 100-degree weather on the West Coast. But uh, today we had lots of high winds and lots of rain. And um, when that happens in our city, there's a lot of flooding. The sewers back up. And if there are pollutants in the sewer system, what happens is when the rainwater, when we get these, this deluge of rain, 
the sewers and the rainwater collection systems back up and it tends to back up into our oceans and rivers and causes pollution. Uh, when people put pollutants in those catch basins, things like paint and pesticides. So uh, what we try to do on a small level um, is divert the rain that goes into these catchment basins. When it rains, if we could collect the water instead of letting it go into the um, sewer drains, then that would be diverting the water and cut down on pollution and help the city in a sense. So we have been working with many of our partners here in New York City, and cities across the country have been building rainwater collection systems. In New York City, we are proud to say we have about 63 systems over the past three years. Grow NYC and, and partners have been uh, successful in building 63 catchment systems or tanks, some of them 2,000, 1,000 gallons in community gardens. It's a small way for us to help the city divert this rainwater and use it in the garden. It's not potable water. You cannot drink it, but it's certainly good to water your vegetables and your flowers with. So that's one way we're encouraging the public and community gardeners to help um, save water. And we've gotten some national sponsorship of this through the American Community Garden Association and corporate sponsors have funded it. And um, 15 or so cities across North America were challenged to build these systems and were given money by um, local uh, businesses. One in particular was Avino, an organic garden magazine, who supported this on a corporate level. And there are these um, tanks all over the country that collect rainwater. Well, and what's really cool, too, about your website is that you have a very comprehensive how-to guide that people anywhere um, we, could access and, and build their own. I mean, everything that you need to know and, and the materials uh, list that you need to build a system like this, you have shared for free. I mean, it's well, on your thanks website. Thanks for bringing that up. Yes, um, last year we were in we were in partnership with the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation, and uh, we up we built 20 new rainwater harvesting systems. And part of that agreement was we also would make a manual, a how-to manual, so as you say, people could build them themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's very, very well done. Yeah, and we each year we've documented about 500,000 gallons of water collected and diverted. So um, it's a beginning, and the more gardens and systems we build, the more water we could divert. Well, this isn't necessarily a question about community gardens, but it's kind of a ripple effect. I mean, are you starting to see... Any new development, like new buildings or retrofits of existing buildings in New York City incorporating rainwater harvesting as well? Um, I think we're seeing a lot of the public. Um, we're getting a lot of inquiries. Uh, there are some um, public institutions, some schools are doing exciting things, some technical colleges are building these systems with their students. They're designing innovative systems. Um, the public, the private homeowner, is using these systems more and more. If you go into any garden catalog or online uh, garden website, you'll often see now um, simple 
materials and supplies for building your own home rainwater catchment system. So the word is catching on, and universities and nonprofit organizations are putting rainwater collection systems on their rooftop along with their solar panels and their green roofs and composting toilets. Mm-hmm. It seems like just one more component of greening an area, greening a building or a campus or what have you. Um, you know, one of the other big topics that we're beginning to hear more and more about when scientists talk about the human effects of climate change is something called the urban heat island effect, which is considered to be a real threat um, to the health and well-being of the urban populations if temperatures begin to rise. Um, and and in, in couple with that, if our nation's energy infrastructure fails to keep up with the growing demand for energy to run air conditioners and, and things like that, that this urban heat island effect could really be quite, you know, significant, and, and deaths could result from, you know, this, this going on. Having an aggressive community garden program probably could significantly mitigate that heat island effect. Is that something that New York City is pursuing in a strategic manner? Yeah, I think with the mayor's NYC, with Plan NYC, um, we have, the city has been um, really proud, and I agree, of planting um, 250,000 new street trees. And I think this is part of mitigating the heat island effect in New York City. Community gardens are supported by the um, current administration in New York City, and they're encouraged to plant trees, um, which makes our cities cooler and more livable. Uh, we're doing what's called the million trees planting that's spearheaded by um, the mayor, uh, Mayor Bloomberg, and the Parks Department, along with several nonprofits and Home Depot and the New York Restoration Project and several um, tree, uh, street tree organizations like Trees New York. And uh, when I was around in the city in the early 80s, we were losing 16,000 street trees a year that were newly planted on the streets of Manhattan. And there were maybe 650,000 street trees in the whole city back in 1980. Now uh, they were able to plant recently, since this Million Trees program started, 250,000 street trees just in the, since the program has begun. So if you were to visit New York City and you hadn't been here since maybe 10 years ago, you would be very surprised to see how much greener New York City is. There are many more green streets with um, island plantings of trees and shrubs and uh, daffodils and bulbs, and the community gardeners and gardens are part of that to, as you say, mitigate this urban heat island effect. Well, and I know that's something that Chicago is looking at as well. Mayor Daley um, has put some of, of that into his strategic plan to lower Chicago's urban heat island effect. Absolutely. So, and um, as many people know, Mayor Daley was, has been and is, still is known as the green mayor. And the rooftop at City Hall I was able to visit when um, we had a conference in Chicago um, and it's amazing how green that city is, and I think there's a nice healthy rivalry between some of the cities, and uh, it's great that 
many of the cities are competing to be the greenest city in the country. So uh, we feel that New York is right up there. There's always a lot of work to do, but uh, it is a much greener city in 2010 than it was in um, 1990, that's for sure. That's fantastic. Well, and I think it's really important to emphasize that, again, yes, there is a beautification aspect to this, but it's not just about, you know, aesthetic appeal. These are actually um, measures that can be taken that will protect the long-term health and well-being of the residents, whether it's from lowering the heat island effect, whether it's conserving water, uh, whether it's growing food, Urban gardening needs to be taken very seriously. It's a strategic asset to a city to have, you know, this tremendous community asset in place. And what's interesting, too, is there's a lot of research now. Uh, There used to be just anecdotal information, but now there's a lot of research that substantiates many of these facts that um, having a community garden in your neighborhood reduces the temperature. It It increases the number of eyes that are looking in the community and makes the neighborhood somewhat safer. People Mm -hmm. know their neighbors more in areas where there are community gardeners. There's um, more socialization. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are some very interesting studies out of St. Louis. They did a study where they were uh, matching up the crime rate with the community gardens and trying to identify called the Wicklow Study, I believe, Um, and Gateway Greening is the organization out of the Missouri Botanical Garden that was uh, funding that research. But that study was very fascinating because we've always known that when we work in a community garden, we feel safer in many communities because people come together, their children are playing. If there's a negative aspect in the community, they tend not to go where people are barbecuing and socializing and having a good time or (laughs) gardening. So true, Gerard. That is so true. Well, folks, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we've got much more to talk about with urban gardening, the strategic asset that it really is to a community. So don't go away. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Hope you all are having a great day, and we're glad to be part of it. Thanks for tuning in. Well, this is the part of the show that I just love. We have two teenagers, a brother and sister down in L.A., who produce Green News in association with my nonprofit organization, the Go Green Initiative. Uh, they're with Global Broadcast for Kids, and every week they send us an audio clip of their version of Green News. So we're going to go ahead and listen to that right now. GlobalBroadcastForKids.com presents GBK Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative. From one kid to another. Hey, what's up guys? It's me, Elijah. And Marley. With GB4K's Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative on Go Green Radio, and we're going to get started. Walmart Stores plans to expand the use of renewable energy in its stores by installing thin film solar panels in up to 30 of its locations. This would be the first time that Walmart, which already has solar power in 31 other sites in California, Hawaii, would use thin film solar technology to generate power. Until now, all of our solar projects have been with traditional crystalline panels, said a Walmart spokesman. These new solar panels will be installed in 30 sites in California and Arizona and can supply 20 to 30 percent of the total energy each store needs. Walmart has an overall goal to one day use only renewable energy and create zero waste. Well, so what? So what? The Go Green Initiative says, Walmart has chosen a new solar technology that needs new buyers or users in order to compete in the solar industry. Walmart's investment in these new technologies will mean that these companies will have enough money to make more of their products for other businesses to purchase. This is a truly win-win situation for Walmart, the communities around Walmart stores, and the companies that make the new solar panels. Bullet trains lock and load. High-speed trains have been seen as the missing element in the U.S. transportation picture. On September 17th, a high-speed rail project began construction in Illinois. 
When completed, this super-fast train will connect St. Louis to Chicago and allow trains to operate up to 110 miles per hour. A recent report called Connecting the Midwest said that a high-speed train like this would reduce air travel by 1.3 million trips and car travel by 5.1 million trips per year by 2020. Well, so what? So what? The Go Green Initiative says high-speed trains in other countries work. Hopping a fast train gives you a comfortable place to sit without stressing about traffic or airport stuff. And trains emit fewer greenhouse gas emissions per traveler than cars or planes, so it's a greener form of transportation. Investing in projects like these isn't cheap, but it creates thousands of jobs for Americans and protects our natural resources. This is exactly the kind of infrastructure we need more of in the U.S. Another study conducted earlier this year found that 80% of American teens are concerned about the environment with 61% believing that their generation will be more responsible. And according to the, a recent USA Weekend survey, teens today are the can-do generation and they are volunteering at a level not seen since the 1940s. The good news is that the Enlightenment is also emerging from the Hollywood stars that teens look up to. Some examples, Zac Efron arrived at last month's Teen Choice Awards in an eco limo, and other celebrities like Leonardo DiCaprio and Cameron Diaz drive only hybrids. Well, so what? So what? The Go Green Initiative says this is so great. Every generation needs leaders, but even better is a whole generation of leaders. Today's kids know that they don't have to wait to get involved in their communities to make a positive change. Thankfully, the old-fashioned idea that children should be seen and not heard is gone. Children can practice being community activists and volunteers at a young age, and hopefully their parents will follow their example. The bottom line is simple. The grown-ups of today will be long gone by the time the full environmental effect of their actions is realized. It's the kids of today who will have to deal with the environmental damage left behind. If kids engage in environmental action now, there is a very good chance that they can influence global, global leaders to take their corrective action so they can leave their kids a better world. Now for some Go Green Initiative updates. New businesses that have just joined the Go Green Initiative, K&W Industries, Calshada, Louisiana. Here are some new schools that have just joined the Go Green Initiative. Union Chapel Elementary School, Kansas City, Missouri, and Alamo Green Team, Vacaville, California. Organizations that have just joined the Go Green Initiative. Family Resource Center at Gorham Project Youth Programs, Gorham, New Hampshire, Heart and Hands, Petaluma, California. Well, that's it for this week, guys. I'm Elijah. And Marley. Signing off with GB4K's Green News in association with the Go Green Initiative on Go Green Radio. And make sure to do one thing a day to help out the environment, like recycle your bottles and cans. Or take two minutes less in the shower. And listen to us next week. Goodbye, guys. Bye. See you later. GBK Green News. Copyright 2010. Globalbroadcastforkids.com. Well, aren't they great, Gerard? Do that you love was those fantastic. kids or what? And I think what the powerful message there is, is it's all about our youth and educating our future generations about living a more healthful life and lifestyle. And it's, I'm here at PS43 in the Bronx, and uh, this is part of our New York City School Garden Initiative. In New York City, we have hundreds of schools 
that are developing or have developed gardens adjacent to the elementary school or the high school. And it's all about teaching kids about where their food comes from and influencing some of their choices regarding their eating habits. And just today, we had about 190 third and fourth graders in a discussion about the amount of sugar in Pepsi, Coca-Cola, in the general um, soft drinks that they drink on a daily basis. And everything in moderation, of course, but some of those soft drinks have anywhere from 10 to 19 teaspoons of sugar in each of those cans or bottles. Mm -hmm. So we offer the kids alternatives to those very sugary soft drinks because we know that obesity is an issue and high salt content in food is an issue. So we were talking to them about alternatives and we make a point of providing fresh vegetables like many of the edible schoolyard projects and I'm sure many of the the schools in the Go Green initiative where you could provide fresh alternative vegetable snacks for kids to give them that option. Well, and the thing that's really cool about it is that sometimes when you have a school garden um, that is growing fresh vegetables and fresh fruits, the kids get to try foods that they may have never had at home before. That's so true. And so they, they also get to expand their, their horizons a little bit with what kinds of foods they find tasty, which is a great you know, upshot of a, of a school garden. And the garden uh, becomes an amazing outdoor science laboratory and yeah. a classroom. You could teach the children all the various disciplines from math, English, writing, science, um, history of civilization, um, geography, all those disciplines can be taught in the garden. I think the important thing is that what I've seen, it gets the child's attention. And once you get a child's interest and attention, you could teach them anything from entomology to, uh, you know, architecture in the garden. So I think that's what I find exciting. That's so true. And I know that a lot of the schools that are part of the network of the Go Green Initiative and other uh, green school uh, programs out there are finding that to be exactly true, that a lot of teachers of multiple disciplines are able to take their kids out into the school garden and, and teach a science or social studies lesson as easily as they could you know, just having an eco-club after school. I want to talk about some of the programs that you oversee um, at Grow NYC. I really love the Plant a Lot program. Won't you tell us more about that? Absolutely. Plant a Lot is a project within the greening program that's very dear to my heart. It's been around since 1978, and it's been funded with primary um, lead funding from the Lewis and Ann Abrams Foundation here in New York City. And the goal is to provide green spaces, playgrounds, lots for tots, or um, play, park playgrounds adjacent to daycare centers in underserved communities throughout New York City. To date, we've constructed over 60 community-managed park playgrounds or community gardens through the Plant a Lot project. And the, the name comes from the original idea that uh, vacant lots in the 70s were very prolific in New York City. Now there are fewer and fewer, if not none at all, because of all the development and the housing crisis. But we would work with the community group, raise the funds, provide the resources, technical assistance, and the manpower to work alongside a neighborhood and 
beautify the neighborhood by developing a community garden or a playground. And we're very proud of our Plant-A-Lot project and that 60 sites have been built throughout the five boroughs over the last 30 or so years. Do any of those lots that you have planted have any problems with land tenure issues? Oh, sure, lots of them. I mean, land tenure is an issue that will never go away. Um, it's in cities all across North America and in, in countries all over the world where, you know, our population is increasing, people need housing, there's a housing crisis, and wherever there's land, people, especially in urban areas, are going to want to live. So, you know, striking the balance between open space and um, housing. But I've seen many of the gardens that I started or worked with, with the Department of Parks and Green Thumb here in New York City, bulldozed for um, sometimes market rate housing, other times luxury housing. So, yes, land tenure is a big issue. Mm -hmm. We recently had a protest in New York City, as I said earlier, to Mm -hmm. prevent any more gardens from being destroyed. Um, So land tenure is a constant issue. The, The answer is to work with your administration. Absolutely. You said a mouthful there. Advocacy is about cooperation and and constant communication. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we will be right back with more Go Green Radio. So don't go away, folks. More right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey. 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you have enjoyed listening to this as much as I have enjoyed participating in this show and you feel like, wow, I wish my friends would have been listening to this show, don't worry because they can't. We are syndicated on Voice America's Green Talk Network and we replay this show every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon on the East Coast, Central and Mountain Time, you guys do the math. But if you go to voiceamerica.com, you'll find a button that says Green Talk Network. And if you go there on Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, you can hear, or your friends can hear, if you recommend it, a replay of this episode. Well, we are back with Gerard Lordahl, the Director of Open Space uh, Greening Program in uh, New York City, with an organization you've just got to check out on their website because it's really an awesome treasure chest of, of Resources and that is www.grownyc.org. But actually, Gerard, I want to start off talking about another organization that you are a past president of, and that's the American uh, Community Garden Association. And their website, folks, if you want to check it out, is www.communitygarden.org. I really loved the Take Action page on that website, and I'd like for you to share with our listeners more about what the ACGA is up to. Sure. Um, The American Community Garden Association is great for professional development for people who are in careers like ours, Jill. If you're a community gardener, if you're a teacher, an educator, if you're at all involved with environmental studies, um, if you're a community activist, ACGA and the Community Garden website can be helpful for you because it gives you a lot of uh, proven information over 40 years of community organizing in cities across the country. I use it, and particularly their uh, community greening review, their monthly newsletter, and also their manual on community organizing. If you have to do a fundraising workshop or a workshop on recruiting volunteers, the ACGA website has in their store section a manual, a video. They have a lot of resources that are free on the website, fact sheets about how to start a community garden, how to work with children. And then in their Take Action section, uh, many people in cities across North America need help protecting their community garden. They give you samples of letter of support to do a proactive letter to support your community garden or a reactive letter of support if you're having issues uh, with your gardens being threatened in particular cities around North America. So ACGA is an organization on a national level that's very dear to my heart. I was the past president. There are thousands of members, and uh, there are also tens of thousands of projects across North America that are involved. We get together every year in a different city. We were in Atlanta just this past year where hundreds of people come together and share information. Well, and what's really great about this, and, and I didn't know about the ACGA until I was, you know, researching for this interview, 
is that in my experience in traveling around the country, you know, there are a lot of folks who want to start a community garden and they feel like they're group or their team is very small and they're up against, you know, some very big obstacles and it seems overwhelming. And what's great to know, and from here on out, I'll be sending people, you know, in mass to this website is that you're not alone. Right. It's a huge network. To I have into. to mention my first exposure, I was at a conference and uh, there was a presentation f- from people from Japan and Poland and uh, talk about big problems to overcome and obstacles. There were images of women gardening under the stacks of Chernobyl. There were images of people gardening in, you know, high-density cities, denser than New York City, like uh, in Japan, where they have to travel out of the city to find land to garden on every weekend, and they do it willingly just to garden. So it's an amazing interaction of international and national folks. And again, as you say, it connects you with people who you might not necessarily get to know in your own city. Right. Um, and, and there's some great templates there for anybody to use. Well, I want to shift the focus now to the Grow NYC website because, again, just a treasure chest of resources. I mean, you can almost... It's almost impossible to reach the end of it. As I was going through it, you know, looking at it, as I was researching for this interview, I was just, I mean, I almost fell into a hole because I was having so much fun reading through all the pages. You know, for those out there listening who are going to visit the website, give them two or three must-not-miss pieces of that website. Well, it is. It's amazing, and thank you for that. We've been working hard on our interactive website, but um, my predecessor was a woman named Liz Christie in New York City, and Liz, in 1970, worked on lots of free public fact sheets. You could go to the website in the greening section, and you could find free fact sheets on many topics from weeding, um, poisonous plants, starting a community garden, trees, uh, plants to put in your window box in the northeast or in your tree pits. Um, it also has very timely information on seasonable crops that are available in the market. If you want to shop at our biggest market at Union Square and you want to know what crops the farmers are bringing in that are available, you could actually search and find out what crops are available, when the farmers will be there, and when you could purchase your locally produced um, vegetable crops. Um, that's a must-see as well, I think, on the website. We're also doing some amazing recycling projects, and we're educating kids in high schools around the city, and some of those youngsters are actually developing youth markets, which are farm stands where kids are being trained to sell fresh produce that's subsidized by the local farmers to their own neighborhoods in these neighborhoods that are often... Um, um, healthy food deserts, mm-hmm. and I think those are important pieces for people to know on the website. Well, I think, you know, that there's such a great benefit to having a well-thought-out and well-supported from a government perspective, not in terms necessarily of funding, but of just strategic support in what you're doing. Um, I know that recently at your green markets you've uh, been able to take EBT or, or food stamps the equivalent uh, now because you were able to get, you know, a way to do that. And I think that that's 
going to help a lot of people who um, you know are struggling financially, but they can still get healthy foods using that program. Exactly. I mean, we are living in tough times, as many of us know, so we're looking for places where we could, you know, save money on our fresh local produce, and the EBT program certainly makes that possible. Growing your own vegetables in community gardens. I have to say, um, Farming Concrete is an organization in New York City that did some evaluation, and in New York City alone, this past year, we grew about 12,000 pounds of fresh vegetables at a dollar value of about $31,000 from Forty gardens, forty community gardens grew twelve thousand pounds of fresh vegetables for this wow. season, saving about thirty one thousand um, dollars on their summer produce bill. So I think that's very important for people to understand. And the garden also becomes another saver of uh, money in a certain way. It becomes a daycare center where people come together, bring their kids, and they don't have to necessarily pay for someone to watch their kids. They're all in the community garden um, as a community with the kids playing. And there are other indirect benefits from community garden, uh, gardening like that that people don't often take into account. Well, I, I just want to thank you for what you're doing, the role model that you are setting, not just for your own city, but for cities across the U.S. and across the world. I'm so glad that you were able to join us, Gerard. And, folks, check out those two websites that we referenced, um, the first being the GrowNYC.org uh, website. It's amazing. And then the ACGA website, which is www.communitygarden.org. Well, folks, we're going to be here, same time, same place, next week with Go Green Radio, so be sure to turn it, tune in and tell all your friends. Can go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.